Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So this is great. Um, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Uh, so I'm Issa. Um, most people know me as Issa Meeling, but my, my real name is Lisa Issa Dickoff Jones. And I'm a tattoo artist and I live in New Mexico right now, <laughs> but I'm originally from Sweden. Yeah. Right. Where were you in Sweden? I was in uh, Stockholm, the capital. Cool. Yeah. And how has that like kind of like how did you end up as a tattoo artist and like was that culture like really pushing you towards that? No, it was more so like I grew up with a lot of punk rockers and like stuff people like that and I always drew a lot. My grandfather taught me how to draw when I was really young. So it, it just kind of naturally, you know, happened with those two worlds combining. So I started tattooing when I was 17 as an apprentice. And I've been doing it ever since the last like five or six years as my full-time profession. And uh, yeah, and, but it was like a, the most natural way for me to make a living out of art. Uh, so that's what I like ended up doing. Yeah. Making a living out of art is not easy and pretty much a fruitless effort for a lot of people. So it's, it's amazing that um, you've you've found this niche and you're clearly very good at it. Like I love your Instagram and all the work you do. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's really wonderful. I think for some people it's inevitable, like you kind of have to make it work as your income to do art. But for a lot of other people, it kind of ruins it for them, you know? Mm -hmm. Because it's kind of meant to be fun and making right. it a profession is like almost like killing that spirit sometimes. But um, I think it's so important that there are um, career paths for artistic people that are actually like fruitful and tattooing is one of the few ones mm -hmm. that are like that. Now today you were working on a mural. Is Are there any other like artistic pursuits that you have that you do just for, for the joy of it? Yeah, I'm like compulsively creative, like I can't stop just making things. So whenever there is a thing coming up, I'll usually say yes to it. So that mural I'm working on right now is the first mural I've ever done. <laughs> it's by far the biggest painting I've ever done. But um, the people who, who needed it done asked me and, and I thought it's fun. So <laughs> that's what I'm doing. And other than that, we're, I'm doing a lot of photo projects and starting to do some more video kind of things. I used to work as a photographer for a band touring, touring with them for a while. And I'm, I'm really excited to get back into that as well. That's great. What kind of band? <laughs> a Swedish depressive black metal band. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. It's a Very like. Well versed in black metal. <laughs> Have you um have you ever spoken to Operation Mo uh, Moksha on Instagram? No. Well, you would love I have him. Not. Oh. You would love him. I, we should actually find a time to do a, a pod, all three of us. He's um he's really into this like Jungian archetypes, um, psychoanalysis, like um like shadow integration. Like he's really into all of that. He's kind of a life coach, and he's really into like punk rock and and black metal and all of that. Yeah, you would love him. <laughs> 
That's such a fun combo. I, I tend, I, I've met a lot of people the last couple of years that are like complete dark hippies, you know? Right. <laughs> and I just love that. Just people that have this bigger understanding of a lot of these concepts, but that also tend to be drawn to the like dark arts and the, you know, the more like gritty parts of reality. Right, right. No, I, I completely agree. Agree, and it's so it feels much more honest than the love and light hippie thing. Yes. Where, um, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of it too. I'm I like very gothic aesthetics in in my art and things like that. So I completely relate. Yeah, and I think it's 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 like you say, it feels more honest. I think people have the understanding of reality as being, you know. A duality of being like light and dark mm -hmm. and just pushing the love and light can kind of become you know you if, if you don't pay any attention to anything regarding the shadow you're gonna be taken by surprise when it pops up you know right, right. and it's probably and it, it overwhelms people um, but I think it's really important to to spend time there and get to know those parts of yourself and integrate that into your being if you're gonna yeah, yes, at least if you're aspiring to be like a happy person, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. You can't be taken by surprise at your own monstrosity. Yeah. Um, well, you know, Carl Jung. One of the most famous Carl Jung quotes is that for uh, for a tree to have roots that reach to heaven, it's root. For a tree to have branches that reach to heaven, it has to have roots that reach down to hell. Yeah. And that just. That goes to the, you need this kind of monstrous fortitude if you want to aspire to something great. Yeah, and, and isn't that so true when you look at people, in, especially in pop culture, that people admire? A lot of them have like darker pasts that they have somehow gotten over and, and there they are as this shining example for humanity, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and at least for, for art, I mean... A lot of the people that I resonate with tend to have darker past, and I think it's because I can relate to uh, kind of trying to to get away from something, or you know, just just having a lot to to deal with. And I think that goes for most people. And it's and and I think art is one of those few arenas where that can truly be played out, and you can express that in a way that people can understand without necessarily putting words to it. That's couldn't have said it better. That's beautiful. And so, so on this topic of of arts and your interest in different styles and and movements, how would you describe like your own style, like the the work you do with tattoos and painting? Like, how would you describe that style? Yeah, it's so the tattoo style that I use is is commonly referred to as black work just because it's simply just black ink and and I use instead of diluting the ink and make gray shadows I just use lines and dots to create dimension um, but I, I got started paint drawing when I was a kid and I drew a lot of manga and like like anime inspired things and and then I think that's still in there mm -hmm. a lot of the things I do are kind of like cartoony and a little bit like whimsical um, and it's the kind of art that I tend to like myself. Uh, but then I'm really inspired by the occult and nature and religious concepts. And I try to include that into the designs. 
Um, but for anything else that I do, I don't. Tr I, I usually try to steer away from expressing my style, and I just try to have fun with it because so much of my profession is con continuously expressing that same kind of thing over and over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, from from what I can tell, and and I'm not familiar with these, you know, the the art of tattoos, obviously, as well as you are, and I don't know the different you know, styles in tattoo artistry, but I see a lot of this kind of nature, um, pagan-esque, neo-pagan elements in your art, and I, I really love it. I think it's gorgeous. Yeah, and that is, that's so funny, too, that you, that you noticed that, because I, I really try to, uh, to express the, the pagan side, and, and especially the, my, like, Nordic roots. I'm from Sweden, and I'm really into Nordic mythology and I'm really into the uh, pagan traditions of, of the region. Uh, but I feel like it's a hard thing to to like talk about and, and push in any other way in, than art anymore because there's such a strange political and like social stigma around heritage in Sweden right now. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's really neat to be able to be in another place and and just express those symbols and express um, the concepts from that um, heritage that I didn't feel like I could really do when I was still living over there. Right. Well, well, there's, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Eric Weinstein. He's a mathematician. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was one, there was one interview that I saw of him and he was talking about how Maybe it wasn't him, but I think it was Eric Weinstein, but he was saying that it's so hard to talk about this, this very European Scandinavian pagan heritage because people are always worried that while you're discussing and, and talking positively about your own heritage, you're going to slip, they're always afraid you're going to slip something unsavory kind of racist in. Right. There's, there's yeah. Obviously, no, yeah. No, there's obviously room for everyone to like appreciate this kind of European paganism and all of that. And um, so a few a few questions I have around that. Um, first, your your necklace is an Ankh. Yeah, right to the yeah. ears. You have um, do you have any any anything you want to say about that symbol that that resonates with you very particularly deeply? Yeah, just like so, it's it's essentially like a symbol of life or eternal life, mm -hmm. depending on like how you wanna um, read about it, but. Yeah, just just having a symbol that represents life and life force is is definitely yeah. I I, I tend to to really enjoy symbols that are pretty universal in their meaning. Uh, so this is one of my favorites to carry, and then I have a lot of sun symbols that I like, and it's kind of a similar message, I think. You know, just that. How, how, how would I describe it? This is where I run into to problems. I start doubting myself in my English. <laughs> no, just, just go for it. <laughs> All right. Well, so so I tend to gravitate towards a lot of these like positive symbols standing for like life and light and things like that. And then combining them with darker symbols. And I love that the Ankh has kind of like a gothic side to it as well. Uh, how like a lot of people have been using it to like symbolize vampires as like eternal life and things, which is, which is fun. 
So I've been having this since I was about 15 when I was a little goth kid and I still wear it because I like the meaning of it. <laughs> I love that. And, and you know, there's so much congruency. I, I just find it so interesting that you're wearing that because right, it's, it's an Egyptian symbol and there's a clear evolution in a lot of ways. Um, like Egyptian mythology and Egyptian stories and Egyptian symbolism into kind of like Christian Europe and like the, oh, yeah. the change is so clear and like it just the symbolism between the Ankh and the cross is so like it's it's right there right yeah um, and then even the discussion that it's a symbol of life and it's also a symbol of kind of it, it's also been used as a symbol for for darkness and you kind of have this duality of the light and the dark in the Ankh the whole purpose of the cross as a symbol, it, <clears throat> sorry, is that it's kind of the reclaimed symbol of the Christians, right? Yeah. Used to to kill Jesus, right? It was a torture device. And then in the triumph over that death, in the triumph over that torture device, it became this symbol of eternal life. Same, mm -hmm. same similar concept with the Ankh. Um. So another thing, you, you were talking about Norse mythology. Is there a particular story or character in Norse mythology that you feel particularly resonant with? Yeah, I, I feel very resonant with uh, Freya and uh, Loki. Um, Freya being the, 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 the goddess of like fertility and nature, but also of war. And, and Loki being the trickster, the, the like catalyst for all these stories to begin even, you know? Mm -hmm. And he's not an, an evil character in, in the story. He can't help but to be a trickster because he is half giant, you know, half and half god. So there's a conflict there, but also just, I just feel this like connection to nature in his character as well that like his nature makes him just instigate things for, for, for the sake of it, for no good reason. And that's, I can resonate with that for sure. <laughs> I actually got his sigil tattooed on my, on my finger here, which is now covered in paint. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. No, I, I, I love that. And what's, what's interesting about like you saying about Loki and like him having this dual sim, uh, this dual nature and that you can resonate with that is like there's always the callback that I love to make like when I'm talking to people who are in my content of like we are fundamentally primates like we came from this this incredibly long history of being of being more or less chimps right of being yeah. able and like we'll always no matter how conscious we are we'll always have this underlying unconscious of these like tricky primate simian beings. And I think Loki is a, a, a great symbol of that. Yeah. Um, now, I, I'm not super familiar with Norse mythology. So did Freya and Loki ever interact? Oh, yeah. Like, so, so when it comes to Nordic mythology, th there is not that many texts written down from original source material. A lot of it was passed down mouth to mouth and um, just through through stories and then there was a monk writing the stories down as it is with with a lot of like old traditions there was there was a Christian writing it down in the end um, 
but yeah in in this universe all the gods interact with each other like throughout the stories and a lot of the stories are about them going on like a trip like go to hunt or go to do something and then things happen so so it's 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 just the universe like any other mythology where they interact and and there are different stories for for all the all the gods in there it's it's oddly similar to a lot of greco-roman tradition mm -hmm. a lot of the gods will have similar roles and they will have similar attributes um, so, so Freya would be like a Venus character, mm -hmm. and um, and and Odin and Zeus definitely have very similar characteristics, right. even though the the backstories are different. And and in Nordic mythology, it's it's a lot of it is is darker, but I think it's just naturally becomes like that because the place where it's from is just very dark <laughs> and harsh. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in, in all of these um, concepts and how they come again in different mythologies and traditions. Um, and, and also reading about hi Hinduism, there's a lot of the gods in that, um, in that story system that is super similar to re Greek or Roman gods and that are super similar to Nordic gods. And it's, yeah, it's, it's just wonderful how that comes again. In right, right. Well, people like people like Jung and and kind of his disciples were so interested in those congruencies in different cultures, mythologies as well, and those are in a lot of ways the the basis of his writings about archetypes. And you have like just the way you described Freya, you know, if she is the hero in a story, she needs this kind of animus, uh, masculine trickster figure like Loki to yeah. call her into the adventure, right? Because that's, yeah. that's just the story of, of, you know, you have your hero and, and there needs to be some contrasexual um, call to adventure. And that's, yeah. you know, so of course, that, that's been echoing in, in so many different stories. Like, I also had a phase where I was interested in, um, in more like Anglo mythologies like Beowulf mm -hmm. and, and all of these stories really do follow the exact same, um, the exact same architecture, and the the characters really do play these similar roles. What I like in particular about Beowulf, and maybe you, you know of a Norse story that has a similar ending like this, but you see Beowulf has two fights in the beginning of the the story and his old in in the kind of timeline of the story. So first he fights Grendel, who is a like a shadow image. Mm -hmm. And then after that, he fights Grendel's mother, who is this kind of chaotic feminine. He goes under the lake and into the like underwater into the darkness and into uh, to fight his mother. And then he becomes king and everything's basically calm for a while. And then you see him in the last part of the story as the wise old man, right? He's this old king like decades later. And he's the guide to a character called Wiglaf, who goes along with him to fight the dragon. And Beowulf dies in that fight, but in that fight, when they kill the dragon, he passes down his sword to Wiglaf. So you see, in one story, the kind of Luke Skywalker hero oh, yeah. end off in the same story. In the end, he's the wise old man training the next generation. He's the Obi-Wan Kenobi character. Yeah. Oh, that's so, so cool. Um, 
there the character in a lot of in, in a lot of uh, well I guess there are several there are several heroes in, in Nordic mythology Thor being like probably the most well-known one right especially with all the more Marvel movies uh, but usually they they you try to like um, or, or you you would tend to view a, a god called Balder as kind of like a Jesus figure you know the like the good hero like the good man mm-hmm. And, and he is killed, um, the story is that nothing can hurt him. He is protected by the love of his mother, uh, Frigg, and um, and there and she has, what, what is it? She has talked to all the woods, and she has talked to all the metals, so that all of them have agreed never to hurt her son. Uh, but but Loki knows that there is like one type of wood that she hasn't, you know, got to to mm-hmm. talk to because mm-hmm. it's so rare, and he somehow tricks one of the other gods to make arrows out of this type of wood, and 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 uh, and since Balder normally is untouchable, they will practice um, a, like shooting at him basically. Right. Right. <laughs> So, and this particular day, they have these new arrows, and it's the only thing that can kill him, and he dies. And it starts the end of the world. Like, it starts the apocalypse. As Is that the story right now? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And, um, and it's, yeah, the death of the, of the good man, the, the hero. Mm-hmm. And with that, all of the creatures, the dark creatures, like the Fenris wolf, will break free and the, the the big snake in the sea will break mm-hmm. free mm-hmm. and and heal who or hell uh, is she is a very dark uh female mm-hmm. um character yeah and she's in the marvel movies as right. well you know um, right yeah and uh and um and she will come with her or her fleet of ghosts basically and it will and, and it will burn the world and and um, a lot of people tend to view the death of Balder in a similar way as the death of Jesus mm-hmm. in a story how that is like this, you know, the death of the good man mm-hmm. and, and, and his mother who is trying to protect him. It's, yeah, it's, it's beautiful how those concepts come again and again. And, uh, and I tend to growing up be very like... Um, very critical of Christian mythology and Christian tradition. And I think it's just coming from a very secular society, but also mm-hmm. like an extremely atheist family, like mm-hmm. very. Um, but I've, in my later years, just kind of found this like newfound love for these stories and, 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 and seeing how they connect to all these other concepts that I'm already familiar with is really exciting. Right, and right. I, no, I, I and you know, and not to discount Christianity in any way, it has all of these mythological elements. It has all of these stories. Like, yeah. you know, people tend to think of Christianity as the Gospels, and, and it, that is the most important part of it. But you also have all of these stories and revelations, and you have the Old Testament, you have the Book of Job, and you also have these works of fiction that are like Dante's Inferno and Paradise Lost, Mm-hmm. And it really creates this complex mythology. And that's that's not to say 
there's no truth in it. It's to say that there's this kind of universal truth in addition to everything else, the universal right. mythology. And um, and there the the Jungian concepts of the archetypes come in again as this like kind of like a base map for where we build our stories, but also in 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 a little bit and how our personalities work and how we can orient ourselves through life by understanding these concepts. Right, right. And that's exactly right. And like you you always need to just looking at the the architecture of a story, like to take Beowulf, like you're you're the first thing you're gonna need to do if you're going to be this kind of leader and be this person you want to be is is confront that shadow, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the first thing that has to happen. And in the end, right, he to 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 end his life in the right way, he had to pass on what he knew to his to, to this apprentice and keep yeah. the tradition alive and also never compromise in, in who he believed he was and, and the, the conflicts that he had, he needed to take. So it really is this kind of architecture for how to live in life. And that, yeah. that's what all of these mythologies were. And even these like fables and like fairy tales and everything. Mm. These, these meta stories. Yeah. One thing that I wanted to mention when you were telling me this story of Balder mm -hmm. is um, I don't know this story very well, but just based on what you said, it's very interesting that this cataclysmic event happens because of like a mother's overprotection. Yeah. And that's like fundamentally the Oedipus story that Freud talked about. And that, that's right. so fundamentally Freudian in the concept of in a mother's attempt to protect their child, and this this refusal to let anything hurt him she actually makes him like fatally weak because yeah something exactly. because there's always going to be something that she didn't account for and once that child confronts that thing she didn't account for he'll have no way of defending against it yeah. because he's been so sheltered it will literally ruin him it, you know, and, to his and, end. and cause ragnarok in the story. yeah <laughs> It's it's such a great uh, story about an overprotective motherly energy just going wrong, you know, right. uh, in the mo yeah in the most severe way. <laughs> it starts the end of the world, um, but I think I think it's it's so important in today's world to to go back to these stories and to understand them like like you just did. Like yeah, here's this kind of crazy story about you know gods and stuff but it does relate to these concepts that are universal and that are not bound by time mm -hmm. like a mother is gonna have these urges to be overprotective in any time in any society in any place and 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 the consequences will be will be the same the, the children will be unprotected when the time comes where they actually meet something that is dangerous to them like really dangerous Right. No, that, that's very interesting. And you, you, this is all making me want to really go into Norse mythologies. Um, so you, you gave me a list of topics. Yeah. Discuss, or a very just discuss. scattered, in, inspired list. Yeah, yeah. Um, are there any of these topics that you, um, that you really wanted to, to talk about? Any in particular? Sorry, I got so discouraged. Yeah, my husband is dressed as a cowboy, sneaking around <laughs> in the background. 
So, so speaking of your husband dressed up as a cowboy, on this list you said outlaw lovers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that is so funny. <laughs> Do you want to explain what you meant by that? Uh, okay, so I have to bring it back to this morning in my brain. But yeah, I think, I think just uh, continuing on these like concepts of archetypes, Jesus, now he's outside the window. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's great. This it's is so great. funny. Um, yeah, he dresses up as a cowboy for work. Uh, it's a thing. He's a musician. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so just bringing it back to the Jungian concepts of the, the archetypes and just like getting to know different archetypes that you resonate with, uh, both in stories, but also uh, in your personality. And that is something that I've been been lately. Uh, I feel like I've been re I keep reading, and I feel like I'm still just scratching the surface of all of this. Like there's so much, uh, but but the the lover outlaw was was the thing that I was um, I was reading about both of those archetypes and really resonating with with them. And uh, I think that's why I wrote it down like that, <laughs> just like it like an in to talk about um orienting through your personality through through understanding the archetypes you're embodying basically um and for me the the lover archetype has always been like really uh clear that that's some I, i'm very oriented in life after yeah like love and like friendships and relationships and like the way other people um it helps me get to know myself mm -hmm. I think basically and and it's it's just yeah it's just gives me a lot of joy to be around other people and right. to give and receive love um, and 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 the outlaw archetype as well um, I've always been a very um, re rebellious kind of person and but it's kind of been inedible because I've had a lot of, of hard things to deal with and it makes you different and and um, and taking on a more of an outlaw um, view on on how to conduct yourself within the rules of society has worked brilliantly <laughs> for, right. for for my personality type. Right. Uh, and um, yeah, me and my husband are very like we uh, we we uh, we have a lot of internal pirate jokes and such. Mm -hmm. Because we both strive to have more of a pirate lifestyle, I guess. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> no, and that's and that's so much of that is 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 really important. Like, um, just like the the concept of the outlaw archetype is is important because you think of like you think of like the most famous heroes in like pop culture, like like Harry Potter is like constantly breaking rules right like you yeah. have like, those memes of like what um that one meme of snape going uh why is it that when something goes wrong it's always you three and it's him and his friends right yeah. and it's like just because he's breaking these rules doesn't make him any less of a hero in fact no. it makes him the, the reason he is a hero is because he he has this like meta rule of he doesn't follow stupid rules yeah and I, and I think that there's so much to be said for like, you don't have to be a bad guy just because you break rules, which is a lot of what people are taught 
through their education and in their societies that breaking law breaking rules and laws is always a bad thing and it makes you a bad person but you see all these stories about these heroes that are like you know robin hood being probably like right the, like main outlaw hero right? right like he breaks all the rules but he's a good person and he does it to help people so he does it out of love which makes him an even better hero than the heroes that follow the rules a lot of the time. Right. Well, even like now that we're now that we're like discussing examples, I think of like like Batman is like this yeah. brutal vigilante A and B like shrouded in darkness, right? So like you, everything he was like based on Dracula as a character. Yeah, like literally born out of darkness in a cave. Right. <laughs> right. So it's like you have this this duality of like this integrated shower shadow this darkness this knowing that you have the capacity to break rules yeah that, i think that's a key in all of this it's like you know you can break rules and in fact the people who are afraid to break rules end up not breaking the rules that they're supposed to like in a, in a society like that has really gone to hell like like totalitarian countries like like russia and germany in in the 20th century it was the people who broke the rules that that who had the fortitude and the understanding of themselves to break the rules that were the heroes yes and i think i think it's it's really important to 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 like build appreciation for those people and those characters because there's always things within any society and any time that are you know rules that shouldn't be there that are outdated that are old and that just doesn't apply to the modern man anymore. And and there has to be people standing up and breaking those, you know, the habit of just blindly following. <laughs> and I don't know, I, I, I really I really do um, appreciate talking to you about this because I feel like there's one of those few things in life that I that I can speak about that I know that I have enough personal experience to 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 be able to say like break the rules like don't go with what your heart says right and just do it out of love and with kindness and with the utmost intention to not cause any harm and you'll do fine like it seems like the universe or you know the way reality works it just, it kind of rewards that behavior. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I um I always like to go back to like, you know, my account's called Logo Soup, right? And there's mm -hmm. there's many reasons for why I call it that, but one of them is this concept of logos in Christianity. And my favorite definition of logos, in in many contexts, it just refers to Jesus, right? Yeah. And it also refers to this. Um, this spirit that we share with Jesus and it's my favorite definition of that spirit is like truth motivated by love. Yes. Like always be truthful and always be acting out of love and not, not destruction. Yes. And if you follow that guiding principle, that's the way to, to kind of reenact what Jesus did. Because now if you look at the Bible, he was killed for being an outlaw. Yeah, he built for opposing the Pharisees and and going against their orthodoxies. Yeah, and seeking a new truth that he discovered. Yes, and and it's and it's so. I I love how it's so universal 
you know, how, how love is probably the most universal thing that we have as humans, regardless of where we're from, you know, where we grew up, that's a fundamental core of things. And I think it's, that's why Jesus's story has been as successful as it has been, right? Like, it's such an easy way of understanding, like, act out of kindness, act out of love, like, help the people around you. And, and don't be afraid to break rules if those rules are harming people. Right. And, right. and it's just so universally true that if you do that, of course you're a hero, you know? <laughs> and, and so I think a good transition to another topic you were interested in is like this new role of psychedelics in our culture that are currently illegal and for that reason like obviously you and i have never done psychedelics ever (laughs) ever um but it's it's very clear that they're having a growing influence on our culture even especially now like our medical culture is having this this new explosion of research into psychedelics right i mean like I'm I'm a I'm a proud medical marijuana patient. <laughs> As one of the few things I made sure that I got when I moved to America, I got first I got my green card and then I got my green card. If you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and I mean. I definitely would 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 mention marijuana as a as a psychedelic drug, but it's of course probably one of the most gentle ones out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I definitely think that we're we're entering into an age where where kind of the the old paradigm of like all drugs are bad, and and if you ever use them, you're a deadbeat forever, and and nobody will want to hang out with you. You know. All of that is so shifting away, and I think we're moving into a space where people can honestly talk about the healing benefits of psychedelics and the, the way they can help people, especially dealing with trauma and addiction and things like that. And we're facing such a huge problem in, in like everywhere in the Western world, like everywhere on the planet probably right now of addiction and depression and all of these things, like really damaging the way people grew up and it and it creates these spirals of trauma and addiction and we really need something to help with this and i i do not propose psychedelics being a quick fix or like something that fits everybody or that would work for everybody at all but i when i when i encountered psychedelics for the first time anything other than weed uh, I, I waited a long time because I, I used to be on all these crazy psych medications and they wouldn't, I, I was scared of mixing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as soon as I got off, off of all that and I, and I tried psilocybin for the first time, it was just, it was just like, uh, such an epiphany, like, oh, this is another way of looking at the reality that I exist in. What if I just looked at it like this all the time and just slowly starting to to change the way like all of reality is and it's 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 I have a hard time describing it and I'm not sure if I should try to because it's one of those things you just have to kind of experience for yourself if that's something that you crave in life I, I would say people to people to, to do it but 
to use caution and to to do the proper research before definitely to kind of have an idea of what you're getting yourself into but it's been the most healing thing that I've ever experienced um, and and continue to experience I've been microdosing a lot uh, the, la the last couple of months especially with the winter we've been doing every third day and it's been really like like mind-blowingly amazing the effects and and I'm very very happy about that and I, and I really think that kids growing up now will will start to have like a bigger just knowledge about what psychedelics are what they should be used for what they shouldn't be used for and how to properly respect them and how to properly use them for these types of issues that people are facing today I think that that's a pretty strong overview of everything that was great um especially like i think it's so important that we are as a culture developing this kind of nuanced view of drugs and i think that's especially important considering the current like addiction crisis that's going on in america um among all of these problems right like we have we have a country of people who are addicted to so many things. Like we're basically a, a country of porn addicts. Oh, we're yeah. a country of like, like so many alcohol addicts and, and this, this de absolutely devastating opioid addiction crisis. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's important to be developing this nuance, especially because now that we as a culture are accepting marijuana, we need to be conscious of like this growing culture of marijuana addiction as well. Mm. Uh, you know, so many people told me growing up and, and so many people talk about how it's non-addictive. And, and that's just, that's really, like, really false. Yeah, just because a substance isn't, like, chemically addicting doesn't mean that it's not psychologically addicting, right? right. Anything can be psychologically addicting if you use it in, 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 a, in, in such a manner, right? In an abusive way, right. Yeah, like... People get get hooked on the most odd things that has nothing to do with even putting anything into their body. Right. So of course, something as powerful as marijuana is is going to be used that way. Right. Um. And that that's why too, I think it's the the way to go is not to ban these substances or to demonize them. It's to educate people of how addiction works and why you might feel like you need something to. If, if you have that feeling of need to fill a hole or to, to distract yourself from a feeling or a thought that you have, then then that's what you have to to work on, right? Like right. All, all of these things can, can serve as like really powerful uh, pointers in the direction of where you might need to heal or what, where, what parts of per your personality or past or whatever it might be about that is making you feel like that. And, and I really feel like we're we're moving into a space where we're even having that conversation of pointing it out that, you know, maybe you have some work to do on yourself. It's like an acceptable thing to say now, which right. is great. Right. And that's that that last point is so like con contrarian to the current like cancel culture that's existing, where it's like as soon as someone has some kind of flaw that manifests in society, we're going to like shame them publicly and, and like, banish them from the workplace and from everything else. Like, right, because so that's going to help, right? <laughs> right, right. And even like, 
you know, you even get to these points where you could kind of understand cancel culture in terms of like someone who's like overtly like racist or sexist, but then it's also like, you know, how many of these people have these tendencies and are ashamed of them? And then when they now, when these tendencies then manifest in public, like that's, that's often like humiliating to someone. Like no one wants to be a hateful person and, and the people who want to be hateful have this underlying like shadow possession that they need to to work through like mm -hmm. just because someone like a is unintentionally hateful or b is intentionally hateful doesn't make them any less of someone that needs healing in life no exactly and 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 i and and i love that you bring that up it's i think it's very sad how we or we but how how the culture we're currently in tend to you know, bring those dark parts out of people in public and then shame them and then throw them aside. And there's no means for redemption. You know, once you fucked up, you're 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 gone. You're out of the scene. You right. know? Which which I think is very damaging because then we have, you know, the conflicts within the everyday person who watches all of this play out on the big scene. And and I think instead of working with those parts of yourself that you recognize that plays out, like s say you, you have some some little little parts of you that are slightly racist or, or that is slightly sexist or homophobic or whatever it might be. Uh, and and in, instead of coming to a point of understanding why you feel like that and moving uh, away from it, you will just repress it and shame it within yourself as well and and then it never gets dealt with and it's just there brewing and 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 i don't think that's good <laughs> no and that's like one of the oldest concepts in in psychoanalysis is that when you come face to face with a part of your shadow something about you that that is negative and that you need to control and understand repressing it only guarantees that it's going to come back stronger Whereas accepting that about yourself and working towards, you know, like, like a psychoanalysis regimen to get through it. Like there's nothing wrong with, for, like I really believe that virtually everyone can benefit from some kind of psychoanalysis or cognitive behavioral therapy. Oh, definitely. And, and that, that, that kind of topic, that like internalized sexism or, or internalized whatever, yeah, whatever it might be, jealousy or anger or anything. Right, a anything along those lines that would that would get someone canceled should be taken toward to like cognitive behavioral therapy and all of these things, and you should work towards understanding where that comes from. Um, one of the one of the Bible verses that come to my mind when I think about cancel culture is one story when um, people were going to stone a woman for adultery. And Jesus very quietly like walks in front of her and in the sand with his toe starts writing in the sand. And he was writing down the sins of everyone who was around him that were going to stone this woman. And then he says, he who is without sin, like, let, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And when he says that, everyone slowly realizes that they are, that they very well could be this person in the middle who has something wrong with their, them psychologically or, or behaviorally, 
and that they could be the one being canceled or stoned. Yeah. But I think that's, I think it's, um, that is so true. And that's the guiding philosophy that it, that should underlie these, you know, before, like, before you blame somebody for their, for their wrongdoings, like, look into yourself and, and, and see if you can understand where that may, might come from before you, before you, yeah, cancel or criticize. Uh, but I think there's also this very strange uh, thing on the internet where people will see these things in others, recognize them in themselves, and then, you know, militantly fight against it. Mm-hmm. Almost to a point where it's where it's like really destructive and and not very helpful to anybody involved. And I'm very confused in how it got like that because <laughs> I feel like it happened very quickly. Um, but but I but I think adopting more of that you know look into yourself before you before you speak of others is is the way to to move forward in in all of this and I, and I wish that mainstream media and media in general could like take a little more <laughs> adopt some of those um, you know ideas rather than than just running with these stories that just go nowhere. Right. Right. And obviously this isn't to say that there are some obviously horrible people that should be canceled. Oh, 100%. Like, that's so obvious, right? Like, yeah. like, obviously, like, the Harvey Weinsteins of the world should be canceled and, and removed from society. Oh, completely. Like, you know, revealed, like, for for what, what they truly do and truly are. Right. But I think it just boils down to just, like, honesty. Just be honest about who you are. And, and your own shortcomings and your own limitations and just do the best that you can from that. And, and allow other people to be the same, like allow people to be honest. Like if, if they're a bad person, they probably couldn't, don't put them in power, you know, don't let no. them, don't let them have control over other people. Um, yeah, there's, there's of course, you know, levels to, to eat good and evil in the world and and bringing it back to what we were talking about before with this like tendency and especially in the spiritual community to be like all love and light and and disregard um, the, the darker concepts and the darker characters that exist within us but that that definitely exists outside of us too I think that that concept and, and one of the like this comes back to one of the things we talked about in the beginning like talking about these like punk rock counterculture this gothic countercultures like something so fundamental about those things even like like gothic catholicism one of the concepts is memento mori and that that's remember death yeah and, like remember that darkness remember that shadow remember this like unconsciousness that we came from and that our body will return to, you know? Yeah. Well, and also use it as a contrast to appreciate everything that is good and that is light and that is lovely about existence and, and, and the fact that life is such a precious thing because we're going to die. Right. Absolutely. And, and yeah, I, th- that is also a thing that, that is, um, that is beautiful about so many of these like old stories that death death is always there 
as as this fundamental part of every story. If death death wouldn't be there as this like final thing, right. then 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 nothing would be worth doing or would there's, be worth talking about. There's no story without an ending. No. And and I think just adopting that appreciation for that the end will come in everyday life just makes you a way happier person because you will you will stop to smell the roses, you know. Right. <laughs> and 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 stop to appreciate that that people that people exist around you and that that you have this like active choice in your everyday life and how you're gonna experience that. And you can do it from a place of of just focusing on what's negative and what's painful and scary and evil about the world, or you can just choose radically to just see, see, see it for what it is and appreciate it for what it is to not have any like illusions of things being better than they are, but just appreciate them for what are it, for what they are. Right. Always like fight for that kingdom of God. Yeah. Right. Completely. And it, it's it's so yeah again it's such a cool thing to have a conversation like this. This would have been like so, like psychedelics really helped me understand these concepts and to to adopt this like a great appreciation for old stories and mythologies and religions and how they're trying to convey these um, these messages that that you know people have found throughout history through like hardcore meditation or mm-hmm. you know they're in different ways you can find this type of enlightenment to these ideas uh, but psychedelics probably being uh the, the, the a fast track you know it's mm-hmm. like a right. quick entry into that and then you're quickly out again right um, that's like you know taking mushrooms is like six hours of like you're gonna see this lesson firsthand yeah maybe you'll take the lesson yeah and you'll experience it like with your whole being right and 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 i have noticed that if you if you if you resist the lesson then it won't be as pleasant right right right. you kind of have to be open-minded to the possibility of you doing a lot of things wrong right Right. no that's true (laughs) that that's a really big point about psychedelics like if you realize that you know whatever you realize like you better be ready to go with it because yeah. if you start resisting it it's not going to be a fun trip no and and that goes for afterwards as well if you come right. to realizations right. that you are not ready to integrate into your life you're going to have a bad time right right um but but even those bad times might be worth it you might learn something yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the times there are way more lessons in what is hard and painful than what is fussy and cuddly, you know? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, no, I, I love this. I think this was like, I think we, we hit a lot of really cool topics, especially yeah. like, you know, part of this like talk about making sure you're the person you need to be so you can push for this kingdom of heaven, like, it's also so important we have people like you making murals and <laughs> tattooing people and polluting you know, sure the world that, visually. <laughs> yeah, making sure that the kingdom of heaven is beautiful. 
Yeah, but it's like just trying to bring joy and just trying yeah. to bring some color into life. And and tattoos too, to just let people just deck themselves out. And a lot of the times it makes them feel a lot better about themselves. Right. That's also a thing that we are facing. A lot of people have like really strange relationships to their bodies and their, their self-image and just their confidence regarding what they look like. And mm -hmm. something as simple as drawing a little picture on their skin sometimes makes people feel just like so much better about themselves. It's really wonderful. This is, um, so what, what you said, I just found really interesting. Um, do you have any experience as a tattoo artist working with people who have experienced trauma and perhaps like dissociation? And when they, do you have any, any instances where maybe someone who received a tattoo felt like they were connected to themselves again? Yeah. I have experienced it myself too, honestly. I, I, have, I have a lot of um, traumatic things uh, in my past and uh, it caused a lot of anxiety issues, like anxiety disorders and um, dissociate, dissociation. <laughs> this, wait, <laughs> how do you pronounce that? No, you're saying it right, dissociation. Okay. Dissociation, yeah, issues um, where I would like disconnect from my body a lot uh, in times of stress and and going through the intense pain that tattoos are, especially if you're getting bigger work done, it's uh, it's such a it's such a hyper awareness of the pain in your body, and and I can only describe it as like moving through the pin and coming out on the other side where you're not really like wh where I felt like I, I dissociated from from my being in a positive way and I could come back and after that I was not scared of that feeling anymore I was like I understand why it's here it's here to deal with pain and the reason that I have felt this in the past has been because of pain you know and just seeing that so clearly play out in real time is like profoundly like empowering because you're there, you're surviving, you're fine. And afterwards you like get up and, and you yeah, have this art on you that's there art. forever. Yeah. yeah. And you, and you earned it because you went through it and it's really cool. And I, I work with a lot of, especially young girls who have, have a lot of trauma issues, a lot of anxiety and depression issues I, I do a lot of scar cover-ups for mm -hmm. like self-harm scars and and it's it's such a wonderful process to see somebody look past their previous um like misconceptions of who they are and 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 so many especially young women have such a warped view of themselves to where they they don't think they're beautiful Know? and something as simple as like yeah putting some flowers on their hips and they're all stoked about it it's really cool and it, it shows you how how easy it is to just change your perception but sometimes you need that little bit of a ritual and I, I really do right. think that tattoos are that like it's a blood ritual you're it and it's it's a painful process and it's and it should be treated as such that's beautiful that's so, uh, I, I, that, that again goes back to this like duality of like, you know, like pain and suffering, but also like love and light and, and being alive. Yeah. 
I, just, I think choosing your approach to pain and, and since with tattoos you have the um, the chance to voluntarily go through something painful right. to come out with something and, and I think a lot of um, ceremonial um, processes and rituals tend towards the same thing. A lot of it has to do with pain, a lot of it has to do, do with going through something really hard to find something new to bring back. And the psychedelic and shamanic process, of course, ties into that, like journeying through the spirit world and trying to bring some information back that can help you in in your waking reality. Absolutely. That's that's the hero's journey. That's the archetype. Yeah. And and I think they're in, and applying that, you can apply it to so many different things in your life, regardless of what it is that you're struggling with. It can be something as direct as like, yeah, getting a tattoo and having to be in pain for a couple hours or going through a divorce or like losing somebody that you love. Like that time of pain is, is a time to, to, to journey. And, and to if you can keep that in mind and just, you know, act act out life as if you as if you were a, a hero on a journey then you'll probably be way better off than than to just suffer through the pain word all right so we've been going for an hour do you want to wrap up here cool sure yeah cool for sure this was wonderful this was really a great talk and um I think we really need to get you in contact with Operation Moksha. His name is Chris. He's awesome. Yes, uh, that sounds really lovely. We should definitely do a pod together. Um, that sounds lovely. Great. If people want to follow your tattoo work and everything else, where should they find you? It's Isa Meeling on Instagram. Uh, Meeling is a type of ghost in Nordic folklore. It's not a name. Um, and, and then I have a new thing for upcoming video and photo projects that we call Sad Cowboy Studios. <laughs> and, and I guess that's it. I'm not very active on any other, it's, it's Instagram all the way. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Okay, well this was the, this was Logo Soup. Thank you everyone for listening and we're signing off.